On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. You preach your tolerance, but lecture me. Is there no end to your own hypocrisy? Your God is power, you have no shame. Your only interest is political gain. You hide your eyes and refuse to listen. You play your game. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgianos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thank you so very much for tuning in on one of our wonderful Thursday shows. We have a wonderful guest in studio today, and we're going to be talking nearly the entire time about the what really galvanized the nation watching the news, which was the impeachment by the Texas House and then the acquittal by the Texas Senate of a very popular Attorney General, Ken Paxton. Our guest today is uh, a member of the Senate, current member of the Senate, so he was part of that hearing, listening to the evidence presented by the House. He's joined us numerous times in the past. His name is Senator Bob Hall. Before I get to actually bring him, I want to quickly tell you again, this is one, this is a short list of senators that conservatives will turn to on a whole host of issues when you really want someone who will fight on the issues that are true to what the conservatives are, the conservative agenda, true to what the conservatives are trying to urge uh, the Texas legislature to do. He is a uh, serious stalwart advocate on a whole host of issues uh, of great concern to the Republican voting base in Texas. Just the most reliable conservative around in the Texas Senate. I'd like to welcome to the show, Texas State Senator Bob Hall. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be back with you again. Really appreciate all of what you do in making the Americans aware of what's going on. Yeah, thank you so. for saying that, and thank you for being available. I know you're in demand. I've been hearing, I was at a meeting last night, and someone was saying, wow, did you hear Bob Hall talking about the, I don't know where you'd spoken, but <laughs> you're really out there speaking up, which, you know, I'll tell you, backing up, if you saw this from you know, 50,000 feet, you saw, wow, a Republican legislature, Republican majority House impeached their own attorney general, just reelected for the third time last year, you would assume something really, really bad must have happened because otherwise, why would they do this? And then the case came over to the Texas Senate, which took a serious look at the evidence and acquitted, which was wonderful. So I want to, first of all, I meant to say uh, your background, I would always like to give credit from military history and military service. Uh, Texas State Senator Bob Hall, as I mentioned, very popular among the uh, conservative base in Texas. He actually has a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from the Citadel, um, and he's had other careers, including serving in the military, prior to enter the Texas State Senate in 2014. And it was a time when the conservative movement was trying to take more control of the Republican Party and have the Republican Party move in a direction that really the majority of the Republican voting base wanted to go. I could tell much more about you, but I want to turn to you because you were alert as it went along uh, what was happening with uh, Ken Paxson's impeachment. I'm not even sure we need to run through uh, today the articles of impeachment or what they all were about because what you got focused on early on was the process and the used by the Texas House that seemed 
uh, of concern to you. So I want to just start with that. You were paying attention as the Texas House moved to impeach our Attorney General, and you have some commentary. I'd love to have you just start with that. Oh, you're right, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And yes, I have been talking. I've been talking as often as anybody would stand still and let me let me <laughs> talk to them. Been there because I want people to know the truth about what's happened. There's a lot going on out there. Like you pointed out, the Wall Street Journal just ripped us apart in there. I haven't read it, but your description of it is they are wrong on every count. Those yes. that have attacked the lieutenant governor for having a thumb on the scale, wrong on every count. Um, and the House for having done a in-depth investigation and presented us with an ironclad case, wrong, wrong, and wrong. And so I think it's important that the people know, because when this first came up, I realized how bad, how badly the House had conducted the process that they had. And I realized that if we let this go through and he was found guilty, we were setting future Texans up for a disaster. Because as you know, in a legal profession, precedent always rolls forward. It doesn't matter how bad the decision is, uh, an example I like to use uh, is that we had many civil rights law, the Jim Crow laws. They stayed in place because of precedent, saying the previous court did this, so it must be good. That's one of the shortcomings of the legal profession. I can say that I'm an engineer. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> and uh, so um, I, I knew precedent was going to hurt us. And I was available the day the House had their their quick kangaroo hearing on it and and I listened to the speeches and John Smithy and Brian Harrison, Matt Schaefer, um, and three others kind of all said the same thing. It says, we have not followed due process. And and due process is what is the glue that holds our laws together. We can make laws, but if we don't follow the due process, our laws are meaningless. That's what banana republics do. That's what third world countries do, is uh, they skip the process. And I'm talking about the things we're mostly familiar with. I use the example of a policeman catches a guy stealing something out of a store, liquor store, running out, two bottles of bourbon under his arm and a handful of cash, catches him red-handed, takes him down, puts him in jail, and then takes him before the judge. And the guy says, but you didn't read me my Miranda rights. The judge is going to throw it out. That's due process. We have a process. And the old saying from the West is if you, that they used to have because they had lynch mobs out there. And they said, if you hang a man with the wrong rope, it's a wrong hanging. And so my opposition to what was going on had nothing to do with the merits of the case, whether Paxson was guilty or innocent of what he was doing. They were going about it the wrong way. They, they launched to impeach him. They did not launch on a path to seek truth and justice. As a wise person once told me, you will find what you look for. And they went looking for salacious things to blend together that would lay the found work for doing impeachment. They did not look for the truth. They, they ignored one of the cornerstones of our process. Comes right out of Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 17. Mm -hmm. He who speaks first is thought to be right until he's cross-examined. And that's what they didn't do. They didn't, they didn't take any testimony under oath, and they didn't cross-examine anyone, and no one in the House actually heard 
testimony from anyone about it. They hired lawyers to interview the folks and they interviewed without, without oath. And uh, it was all hearsay, second, third, and fourth hands. And so right from the very beginning, when I listened to Smithy talk, he, he's the one that put me onto this, as did Tony Tenderholt and Brian Harrison, and I followed through. And as I studied the documents as they came out, uh, put it on the website, every day I would print them out. Kay was wondering where in the world was I was back there in the cave, printing out another document. I had to print up three, more than three two and a half inch notebooks of from each side and, and studied them each day. And as I went there, I said, where, where's the evidence? When are they going to start doing the evidence? When is yeah, that? where's the evidence? I'm going to jump in at that point okay. and say, for our listeners who are around the country, very short thing to keep in mind. In Texas, we have a law that says you cannot impeach an elected official for conduct that occurred prior to the most recent election. And every bit of the conduct that was the basis for these impeachments occurred prior to Ken Paxton's most recent election. So right there, there was a lot of a, hey, wait a minute, what about that law? And the second thing, because we're going to dive into what you were talking about with Smithy, but the second point was the Texas people did not know this impeachment process was occurring, really didn't know it until less than a week before they announced, by the way, we've impeached your attorney general. So the public was completely sabotaged, had no idea, wouldn't have backed it, in my view, would not have backed it. And all of a sudden we're announced, by the way, we've impeached this guy, and it was a, you know, the common language, like a railroading. They just decided, and, and when you talk about the Texas House members didn't do the investigation themselves, they, they subcontracted it out, that's so they're, they're distancing themselves. They're not really responsible. Somebody else did it, but they didn't put them under oath, and which is a cornerstone of due process. I want to quickly, if you could, Mr. Emilio, I want to put the, this, you mentioned Representative Smithy, and he was brilliant in his statement urging the House to vote against impeachment. We have a quick clip from Representative Smithy. Telling you is this house cannot legitimately and in good faith and under the rule of law impeach General Paxton today on the record that it has before it. But I'm here to defend two things that are precious to me. One is the rule of law, and the other is the integrity of the Texas House of Representatives, of which I've given a good part, the best part of my adult life. This House, historically, and with its president, has always applied a higher standard to this, these proceedings than it has to a typical grand jury. The House has always been concerned about due process and constitutional rights, and above all, the fairness that goes with a process such as this. And there are uh, three reasons for that. Three very, in my opinion, very compelling reasons. The first is, that our consequence, that, that our actions today have an immediate consequence. If we vote to impeach today, as soon as we do that, then General Paxton will be automatic, automatically relieved of his duties. He will no longer function as Attorney General of the state of Texas. It's what I call the hang them now and judge them later policy. The second reason that we, the House has always insisted on a complete record, which we have no record before us, no record, no report before us. But the second reason is it is our responsibility for to provide a record upon which the Senate can make its adjudication of guilt or innocence. Yes, they will have a trial there, but the basis for that trial is the record that we prepare here in the House, and there is no record to send to the Senate. 
The third reason, and, and to me this is extremely important, and, and that is just as we should be but are not looking at precedents of the Texas House, future legislatures should and probably will be looking at this precedent. We do not need to be relaxing the due process and the fairness concerns. You know, that, and that was a little bit long. The rest of the clips are not that long. But this is a guy laying out. This was his speech before the vote. Mm -hmm. He's talking to fellow House members saying, you know, there's no record here. And I, I want to explore a bit about you're talking about the importance of precedence. It is very true. If we had established in Texas that the legislature can go after somebody with basically no evidence and not put witnesses under oath and not rely, not afford the person being accused, the opportunity to cross-examine, you're kind of saying that's how we do things in Texas. And it really makes vulnerable everyone in the Texas government. I mean, everyone that the House members at some point decide to turn against, correct? Oh, absolutely. And, and we saw firsthand uh, that it actually, what might have happened, it actually happened. Dave Maxwell, who was one of the, one of the whistleblowers, was called over to, to the House to give his testimony. And he admitted on the stand that he lied to the House. He was not under oath over there, and he misled them. Let's just put it the way. He misled, misled them, and uh, Tony Busby called that out. That, that, was, that was one of the first really cracks in the credibility of what the whistleblowers had to say. I mean, Busby managed to get it in every one of them, but that was, that was a major one. That was a man with a long history of law enforcement, uh, and uh, he, he, he missed, and, and, he, and during his testimony, because he was, he was being very coy, uh, he, he taught people mm -hmm. how to be a witness, and he was really proud of that, and he was being very coy, and he played, tried to play with Tony Busby. He just got the wrong person to play with. <laughs> Because yeah. Tony called him out and nailed him on it because he admitted he asked him about one of them. It was, why were you doing that? And he said, to mislead you. Those were his words. That's what, that's what he said yeah. up there. Uh, you know, coy is a nice word. It was snarky. It was, condesc it was condescending. It was kind of like, oh, I'm just playing, playing with you people. Yeah. The attitude, I'm playing with you people. Yeah, that, that bothered me particularly because I was, I considered this to be about the most serious thing that I have ever been involved in in my life was, was this, because there was so much hanging in the balance. Uh, it, it was, it's the future of Texas and how we implement things. And I look, and I say that, if I look at what's happening in Washington, D.C. today, and you see what government out of control, when it decides it wants to enforce law and take shortcuts, look at the number of J6ers that are in jail uh -huh and the number of people who are not in jail when we have law not being enforced fairly, evenly, and following a due process. Uh, so we cannot have that coming to Texas. Absolutely, and on that due process point, I was earlier you used that expression and talked about the importance of it. It can sound, as people dismiss concerns about it, well, you're just talking about technical things. They didn't quite give them a random warning correctly or that was a slight misstep. But due process is what protects you from tyranny, is what protects you from a government that wants to accuse you. And the, the system is set up to allow you to cross-examine someone who's accusing you of something, present your side of it. Due process is part of having your whole side heard. And the, the concept of just leaving it all aside, it just... 
uh, it, it is the third world banana republic type. It's just loss of rule of law and loss of the presumption of fairness in our system. Yes, because our legal system goal is truth and justice, yeah. not incarcerating people. It, it, that's, not it, that's not the goal. And you mm. only get there when you know that what you're relying on is accurate. And it can only be relied upon as accurate. That's why hearsay is not accepted in most cases like this. But when the person knows that there's a possibility that they can be held accountable for perjury, if yeah. what they're saying isn't true, and the other side of it is, and we saw it very well in this case, is that when the prosecution interviews someone or talks to that witness up on the stand and takes them through a series of questions, you're led to, oh, wow, man, he's guilty of sin. Oh, my gosh. Listen to that answer. And then the second half of Proverbs 18, 17 kicks in with the cross-examination, and it turns around and goes the other way because their answer was half answers, misleading answers, incomplete in some way, but when the whole truth was known, it was just the opposite conclusion you would get to. That's due process. Absolutely, and it's vital to have our to have in the entire country feel as though our system is fair to them and treats treats them treats every witness, every possible accused person with a set of standards and laws that apply to all of us. And that's the, you know it's the process that should get us mostly to justice. I want to hone in on one piece of the uh, first of all, you mentioned the large, the uh, documents that were being put out by the House. I do have a friend we, with people over the weekend. She had read the entire House report that was put out. It was really really thick. And she, you know, all was like Ken Paxton. She said, my gosh, this guy is terrible. And then she listened to the Senate hearing. And, and, and one reason I want to go through all this is what the House put out was so full of inaccuracy, deception, just false allegations with, with no backing to them. And if you just read that, you'd think, well, gee, then the Senate letting him off, that was just probably a political favor. I want to hit on one particular uh, story. I remember hearing over and over and over that there was bribery because the, the Paxton's home in Austin was, uh, had some remodeling work done by someone who was allegedly tied to this uh, wrongdoing with Ken Paxton. Had, and he'd been done free work at their home and got new granite countertops in their kitchen and that was, and without charging them, and that was a form of bribery. And that's just, I happened to watch the entire day of that segment. But just, just tell our, everyone, what was the real story there? What happened in the what, Senate Well, hearing? you pick a good one because that's one I said, man, all the rest of this stuff, you got a lot of opinion in there. But, man, if, Nate, if somebody was paying for that renovation like that, that's serious. That was, that was one that I thought going into it would be one that just might, if there's a problem there. And so I was expecting to see some evidence. That's what I was looking for. And so when the prosecution got up and, and the only, I was waiting to see a copy of the cashier's check with Nate Paul signing it to Cupertino Builders and the address, the, the, the Paxton's home on it, or something along that line to show that he had paid for this thing. And, and I listened to the testimony and, and the testimony was, I have to check with Nate. That was all they had. I have to check with Nate. And that had to do with the question about they wanted to upgrade the countertops to granite, from tile to granite. What you didn't see or what we saw was also a worksheet for the contractor that showed that he was working on five different projects at the same time. And I think three or four of them were Nate Paul projects because Nate Paul was in the real estate business in there and he was behind 
working behind on, he was behind on it, and his, it appeared that his answer was, I need to check with Nate to see if there's a time where I could do this, it was what it amounted to, not to be paying for it. I mean, that was a very credible, could have been credible answer, but nothing was shown about money. And then, and, and we're there waiting for, because the burden of proof is on the prosecution. You don't prove innocent in a, in a court normally, but in this case, the defense time after time proved innocent because when they did the cross-examination, they came up and showed where the wire went from Ken to the bank, the bank to the bank, to the, to the other bank, to the company had copies of all the documents on the date it was due for exactly the amount that he had paid for it. So had actually proven innocence. Now, someone later said, yeah, but look at the date he did that. He yeah. did it just the day before they were going to blow the whistle and he was afraid he was going to get caught. So he went and quickly paid for it. And my answer to that was, so what? The accusation is that Nate Paul paid for it and he didn't. There was no proof of it and he didn't pay for it. So it's over. It's done. You can't. And that's where they, the house was operating. They would, they would try to backfill with motive that would point you in a direction that the evidence didn't go to try to discuss. And they had the other half of it, the hardcore thing on, um, on the bribe was a $25,000 campaign contribution. Now, the average person out there here, $25,000, that was a pretty big bribe. Well, you look at his campaign contributions for that year, and that was less than, than four-tenths of a percent of what he had. He'd roll over to $2.5 million he'd gotten, and that was two years beforehand. So who in the world is going to bribe somebody two years ahead? I mean, it, didn't, it, it just did not fit together, and that was, that was typical of what happened. It was typical, and if I'm recalling the way the testimony emerged, there was one young man who was on the stand a long time because he worked in, uh, in Paxton's office, not an attorney, and he made a lot of assumptions because he overheard something and someone implied something, but when he was actually presented with pictures of the kitchen, it's still tile. There was, there was oh. no granite, there was no, they didn't, the granite was never even put in. No, that was uh, that that was uh, that was one of those aha moments, oh and that they, they came up with the with the photographs of the of the condo today, and and back then, and and the and the guy who had who had overheard the comment, I got to check with Nate, and they showed me. They said, "Do you see any granite uh, or new cabinets in here?" So. But that's the kind of thing, as you pointed earlier. If the house had decided, because that is a really it's a concrete allegation. Some of the allegations yes. are a little bit complex in law, a little bit about securities laws, and people aren't quite following what they, I mean, the average person may not. But this is a really simple allegation. This is bribery. Some guy fixed mm -hmm. it for free. And that would have come out in about 30 seconds in the court, in, in the house, had they decided to actually dive in and get answers and look at evidence. Well, yeah, that was one that, uh, I, you know, yeah, I go back to the cash blank, you know, picture of the, of the, of the check. There were others in there that were even worse than that. The, the allegation that he illegally hired uh, Kamak as a prosecutor, illegally signed a contract. He is the attorney general. He can sign anything like that. I mean, it's, it, it, it's something that 
everybody in the in the office over there knew, but somehow they wanted to make that that he did something ill, and he did not. the The other piece that was he he illegally obtained documents that were in the the office of the attorney general. He is the attorney general. He has the right to see any document that there is in the organization. So there was nothing illegal about him getting the documents. And so they, but that's the, 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 the ones that were kind of heavy were all like that. Like the, the, the uh, prosecutor pro tem, he mm -hmm. illegally had a prosecutor pro tem. The pro tem was, the, I don't know who threw that in the write-up. But nobody ever identified Kamak as a pro tem. He was a he was a prosecutor, investigator. Even the Democrat DA from Travis County that had every opportunity to cook him would say, "Well, yeah, that's who. That's what we thought he was. He said he was a was because they asked him, did you ever call yourself a pro tem? No, never did. Uh, the DA, did you hear him say? No, I never heard that. Nobody ever heard. So that whole article just vaporized with that." But it was because they were solely poorly written. They were in such a, a hurry to go down the path right. of impeachment that nobody ever checked to see if what they were doing actually made sense or not. It was astonishing. We could, we could pick through a lot of the evidence. I do want to, but I want to turn at some point fairly quickly to the idea of what in the world is motivating this. What, why would all this been happening uh, in Texas? And before we get to that, though, I want to also hit back on uh, the, what happens in, in the House and why we have a House that would be a Texas state House so rogue or so inconsistent, acting inconsistently with the will of the voters. And it goes to the way we choose a Speaker of the House. We didn't even, I didn't mention I want to talk about this today, but you know, we, the Speaker of the House in Texas, astonishingly, is pretty much picked by the Democrats because of the process. The Democrats band together, they pick someone who is very moderate, say, will you be our Speaker of the House? He says, sure. They can pull over 10 or 12 Republicans to join all the Democrats, and they've got someone who's Speaker of the House who has immense power because of appointing committee chairs. And I'm getting at the point, because we never got control of the process in the House of choosing the Speaker, we can have something go through in the House that I don't think you would, it was more of a Democrat and some group of Republicans attack on the, on the Attorney General because we didn't get the process right of picking the Speaker. You think that's fair? Oh, the, the process we've got that, that's, that's existed now since Joe Strauss was there, yep. and, and that is if one wants to be Speaker, they go ground up and get all the Democrat votes, which gets them within about 10 or 12 of what they need, and so they only need about 10 or 12 Republicans, and they've been elected. But they promise them all kinds of things to do or not do in terms of not just committee chairs, but what bills will be allowed to come to the floor, what bills will allowed to be heard, is what is, is used as barter for getting those votes. And until we get a House, enough Republicans in a House that says we aren't going to do that anymore, uh, we are going to coalesce around ourselves and uh, now they made an attempt last time passing one of the rules that, uh, that, that they would elect the speaker in caucus. But in reality, it had been decided because everybody knew who the Democrats were going to vote for because it's actually done on the floor. It's not done in caucus. But it could be. There's no rule against doing it in caucus. It's just forcing the Republicans to commit to sticking that's, with the that's, caucus that's choice. That's a House rule. They, they, they could do that. Right. They could do that and they don't do it. And really, I, I do 
fault to a great degree, the process, never fixing the process, got us here. We'd have such a railroading of the attorney general by someone who's pretty much siding with the Democrats. Okay, I want to go on and talk about, though, the, um, I mean, you had, I took notes. We talked on the phone yesterday, and mm -hmm. I took a lot of notes while you were talking. We have a lot of points I want to get to. There is some concern about um, the Bush family, and whether there's Bush family impact on this. So I'm just going to, some concern. So I just want to talk about that. Um, and I, I know I, I didn't actually get to see the interview yet, but I understand Attorney General Paxton, who now has been, you know, he's back on the job, he's Attorney General again, has been openly calling out the role of the Bushes in this. For our listeners who are not Texans, so Attorney General Paxton uh, had a primary in, uh, last year when he was running for re-election for Attorney General. There were other people in the primary, went to a runoff. The runoff, uh, his runoff opponent was George P. Bush, who is the son of Jeb Bush, you know, nephew of George W. Bush, and so, you know, the Bush family. And uh, he ran for, to, he wanted to be attorney general, and he got pretty much trounced. It was two to one, basically. The vote was, the, the Republican voters in Texas chose Ken Paxton again. So there's some ties in the uh, Bush family uh, to the Paxton impeachment. Uh, one little tie, and, and you can agree or disagree, uh, but I, I think these are relevant because you listen to the facts that you laid out. The House had no reason to be pursuing this. They didn't pursue a just process. They didn't try to pursue a just process. They did not allow for cross-examination. Ken Paxton didn't even know what was happening until very shortly after the impeachment vote happened. A secret investigation, subcontracted out, could not have been more hidden. So people get around to, so why? Why, why would they do this? I have lots of political reasons. Do you want to, uh, Con and you look like you want to say, if you want to talk about why you think it happened, I still want to talk about Bush, but why do you think, what, what caused this to happen? Well, I, I do think it, uh, it was said many times that there are no coincidences in, in Austin. There are no accidents in Austin, and I really believe that. Uh, but I don't want to do the same thing the House did and, and have a whole lot of speculation without going very far with it. But I will say there there is there is enough, there was enough that was brought up that would warrant a meaningful investigation into what role was played by those on the outside. Uh, the comments that are in the evidence, uh, the hand notes uh, that were written by, um, I believe it was, uh, I forget which, uh, which one it was, Penley, uh, had hand, handwritten notes that were, were brought in as evidence. And there were some other emails that went back and forth that had uh, some very interesting references in there. For example, one of the email chains that, that I believe that Penley was involved in was um, when they were getting ready to say, okay, here's what we need to do. Uh, one of them was reference to uh, meet with Luis. Well, Luis is in the governor's office. Why would they be coordinating this with the governor's office? You, could, you can jump in a lot of different directions over that, but that was one little piece. Another one with Penley's handwriting, get George's number. Okay, Penley is one of the... One, one, of the, one of the whistleblowers. So he was an attorney in the OAG's office. Right, in yeah, the right. OAG. And then Penley also had one of his notes at the bottom of, of one of the sheets, and it's all out there, and I've got it is, he's got it, it's, a, it's starred with a circle around it and starred over it again. And it said, it says, cook up bar charges against Paxton, um, Kamak, and Wynn. Wynn was Nate Paul's attorney. And he had it cook up. And, then, and that statement was, was, I think, was in someplace in there twice. Uh, so there's that. And then there, there are some emails floating around. 
out there that are redacted, and I don't those kind of things. You don't don't know. And I'll say that I have no idea of the validity of them, but they do clearly link the Bushes and Karl Rove in oh, into yeah. it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you know what? I don't want to put. And, and one ahead, and no one more. more item, the attorney that the whistleblower is hired, Johnny Sutton. And those of you who haven't, if you want to be really entertained, go Google Johnny Sutton, and you will find that this is a dude with a really checkered past. Uh, he shouldn't even still have a law license. And we wondered, but they kept talking about he was working for free. Well, somebody did a deep dive, and they found that uh, the Texas General Land Office has been paying the Ashcroft Law Firm $178,000 over the last three years. And that's where Johnny Sutton works. Yeah, I want to tie those strings up because that, which I'm glad you're raising all of that. So, again, for our listeners out of state, among the reasons this whole impeachment got started was back in 2020 when some of the attorneys who worked in the, in the Office of the Attorney General uh, let, walked out uh, over concerns. They claimed they had ethical concerns about things that Ken Paxson had done. They made a complaint to the FBI. They laid out whatever their allegations were. They thought some things occurring in the Office of Attorney General were not ethical. So they go to the FBI. That was September 30th. And I know actually 2020, it wasn't, or 2021, whichever year it was, they went and made these complaints at the FBI office. And the very next day, George P. Bush, who was then uh, going to run against Ken Paxton at, in the primary, the very next day, George P. Bush uh, moved to reactivate his law license. So some, maybe it's a coincidence, maybe there aren't any, maybe there are coincidences, but you know, this was the, these people had banded together claim they had genuine concerns, and maybe they did have genuine concerns. They went to the FBI, and George P. is lining himself up to be able to run in a primary against Attorney General Paxson. That was one. Um, and then it's a very much Bush-affiliated lawyer, this Johnny Sutton. Um, and they, they, as you mentioned, the whistleblowers retained them to represent them. And they, and they were questioned during this, this hearing in the Senate about, well, you know, who's paying all these attorneys the attorney for all these attorneys, you know, who, who's paying Johnny Sutton or how? And he said, he has, one of the answers of Ryan Vassar was, he has agreed to bill us at a future date. I mean, I, that'd be great if everyone could have a lawyer, just wouldn't bill them. That'd be fun. You know, you could just get everything done. But I mean, it was a very serious thing to say, well, so this is a Bush appointed person who's essentially appearing to provide free legal advice to the whistleblowers against Ken Paxton. Which you cannot do in Texas. That is an ethics violation that can you lose your license. You cannot, an attorney cannot work without having a signed fee agreement with the client. Now you it, can, I mean, there is pro bono work. You, no, it, it, it can be pro bono. It can be for zero. It. It, it can be, it can be from nothing. Uh, I, and, uh, but you have to have that in writing or it's an ethics violation and they can take the license for that violation. So I think that's one that somebody needs to investigate yeah. to its proper end. Absolutely. And the same, uh, we're down this path with the Bushes and um, Johnny Sutton. Um, so Sutton He's also a, known as Johnny Satan. Okay. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Oh, the, the, <laughs> that's what they say in the song. When you Google it, you will get the song, Johnny Satan. But yeah. 
So he has long connection to the Bush family, just so he was criminal justice policy director for George P. Bush's uncle W, George W. Bush, uh, while he was governor of Texas. He led the Department of Justice transition team for George W. when he became president. Um, he then uh, was associate deputy attorney general and then eventually appointed as U.S. attorney for the Western District of Texas um, under Bush from 2001 to 2009. So he has long connection to the Bush family, who is now appearing to give free legal coverage and care for these people who are essentially orchestrating Ken Paxton's removal. Wow. Right? That, I mean, that's... That's what they said. He okay. was there in the courtroom and... Yep. Uh, and several of them pointed to him and said that was him and said that they were working. He said he would bill them, you know, later. Yeah, we're going to, he's agreed to bill us at a future date. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. One thing I want to mention about this, because it's really, I mean, it matters what motivated this because it doesn't seem like it was genuine concern over uh, Attorney General Paxson's um, legal issues. And, and, and then, again, I go back to the state law that says you actually cannot impeach someone for something that that everyone understood uh, prior to the last election. So, I mean, the one other thing I'll add about it, because it's really rather entertaining. So Sutton was actually the prosecutor who went after some Border Patrol agents. And he's, he prosecuted these Border Patrol agents who were, were trying to prevent a drug trafficker mm -hmm. coming over the, the border, bringing a large amount of drugs. You want to tell the story or? You're doing fine. That's fine. Okay. Well, anyway, he, they, these these two um, agents were trying to stop this drug trafficker. Uh, a gun was fired. Did not kill the trafficker. He escaped back over the border. But Sutton went after and brought charges against the two um, agents for essentially uh, using their arms. I, I mean, for, for shooting at this guy uh, whom they did not kill, who had a large amount of drugs with him. And he actually secured a conviction. He gave uh, immunity to the drug traffickers so they can come and testify. Goes after these two Border Patrol agents trying to keep drugs out of America. And there were a lot of people very concerned about it. And so the, what I'm leading up to say there was a big hearing about it in Washington. So even the likes of Dianne Feinstein, no friend of conservatives, said Sutton had a prosecutorial overreaction after this congressional hearing, hearing about what had happened in all of this, she said, you weren't going after cartels in this case, you were going after border patrol agents. So this guy is way off in what you would think a law-abiding, Republican-oriented DA would do. Yeah, and the, and the write-ups also say, say that he changed the time and location of the event to make it fit for those who he gave immunity to to testify against him. And so it was, it was as bad as it gets. So, so he's a bad actor, it seems yes. to us. He's a bad actor. And eventually, I guess, W commuted their sentences, and later Trump pardoned, pardoned them. them. Yeah. So Trump pardoned these two. But these are you know, people, our Border Patrol agents, that we hope to God are trying to protect us at the border, get, get prosecuted by our own government, by a George W. Bush-appointed attorney general. Okay. Anything further on that you no, wish to say? No, I think, yeah, we, we've taken <laughs> care of him. Okay, well. Listen to the song, you'll like it. Yeah, okay. But on a mother more serious, you made allusion to it earlier, but there was on George P. Bush, I'm getting, I, I, I truly am getting at this to say, people actually should be asking, why did this whole impeachment happen? Why did it happen to this attorney general? 
we've gone off in our, in our show many times talking about many things that Ken Paxson does in his office, in his role as Attorney General. The people of Texas are cheering him on. They want him to go after the border insecurity. They want him to go after election fraud. They want him to do what he was just beginning to do as the impeachment came along, which was going after at least announcing the opening of an investigation against the biopharmaceuticals to say what the content of the jabs are killing and hurting our Texas citizens, try to go after them. And I think much of what people in some segments of the Republican Party didn't like was this guy is doing what the voters want. And I think he makes other people look bad because they don't go after those things. Think that's fair? I think it's, I think that's very reasonable to think about the things he, he was doing very much upsets the establishment and the uniparty and, yes. and that have that want to have the border open who want to have the drug trafficking who are making and making money the, the pharmaceutical problem that we've got out there that has caused the death of so many people and, it, and it's rising it's just going to continue to grow every year people are going to die because of big pharma uh, doing that and and the and the big one is is the election fraud he is on to it he is right he, he is what he has been going after and where he's been looking is absolutely right the only thing is you got you got uh the media like what the wall street uh journal did in going after attacking pax i mean uh, paxton and uh, patrick, patrick yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and all of that on there because they didn't like it it's the same thing they don't like people going after election fraud because it's real it's there but they have control of it and it's getting them the answer they want so they don't want the status quo upset so i think those things that his his involvement in it uh was was what prompted those from the outside to push doing something and they just didn't count on the folks they went to being as incompetent as what they were in doing it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. I think there's a lot of sinister motivation having to do with Ken Paxton, what he went after, and especially on election integrity. Tied to that for a moment, you mentioned this note. I hadn't heard that testimony. A note and someone said, you know, essentially turn the bar again, get the bar to go after them, mm -hmm. after them. Ken Paxson was under investigation by the Texas State Bar because of the litigation he filed at the Supreme Court challenging election fraud, that, yes. that he was filing a frivolous lawsuit. So you can't, this is how much election integrity work advocates are punished because he said, which I, and I think the Supreme Court was wrong in refusing to hear the case, but after the 2020 election, he said the election failures of other states that failed to follow their own laws, failed to administer the election fairly, actually harm the citizens of Texas because we're not getting the result that we voted for. And the Supreme Court, I think the ruling was no standing, which, I mean, if he doesn't have standing, then nobody does. But the bar in Texas went after him over this being a frivolous lawsuit. I mean, this is the... I think it's just, it was just the bar being weaponized by those same folks that are behind the House going after him. And, and yes. the House's rationale for what caused them to do that was when he asked for the $3.3 million to settle the lawsuit. Right. And that would have been the cheapest we would have gotten out of it if they had said that, because it had gone to fruition. It was two ways it could go. One is it could be recognized in the appellate court as that those whistleblowers actually have no standing. And I agree with that. They, 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 they do not qualify under the whistleblower statute. 
they are not employees. Every one of them are at will uh, hirees. They're, they're political hires that don't go through the process. Ken Paxson says, I want you to come work for me, sign name here, you go to work tomorrow. And that's it, that's all there is to it. And then you don't go through the process of a civil servant. Whistleblower law is for civil servants, it doesn't even apply. That was why they appealed it, because they said, we're gonna get out of this thing altogether. We're not gonna have to pay, nobody's gonna have to pay anything. Because the whistleblower, you cannot, they cannot go after the, the person, the boss that hired them. They have to go after the agency. Uh -huh. And yeah. so it's just the agency. So by doing this, it was going to wipe that out. So that was the reason they, they went to the appellate court, was to get it thrown out because it, they, they had no standing to, to actually do that. And, wow. and but But the House said the reason they started the investigation was... He asked for $3.3 million to cover up his sins. Exactly what they did. And, you know, I, will, I one who shall remain nameless, but a House member who called me because I had left a, I left a bunch of messages saying, do not vote to impeach. Please don't do this. To, to, to Texas State Republican House members, one of them called back and just said, you know, we really have to because you realize he asked for $3.3 million? Well, the obvious answer is, so vote no. Okay, you don't want to give it to him, vote no. I mean, you, you can do something beside vote on this impeachment. Mm -hmm. And they just, it seemed to me to indicate they just wanted to go for the impeachment. They were going to go after that no matter what other course they mm -hmm. had available to them. I want, I want to make sure I mention this. I want to make sure and leave time for our guests to ask questions. But one other thing on the George P. Bush involvement, and I, I don't know all the facts, but I, I don't, but I do know what has been reported as facts and was uh, George P. Bush, who ran against and lost, you know, mightily lost to, um, in the primary against Ken Paxton. He was Texas land commissioner, elected in 2014. Prior to that, he founded a real estate equity firm called Pennybacker Capital. Pennybacker Capital, oil, and he also an oil and gas consulting firm. This is in 2017. There was a battle in 2020 over Nate Paul's um, real estate, there was he who's a central figure in all of this, and um, several properties were raided that Nate Paul owned, uh, raided by law enforcement, assets frozen. Eventually, his properties foreclosed on, and despite so they had a foreclosure, his properties went to auction block in 2021. So, the in 2021, the properties were won that there were Nate Pauls that they foreclosed on by entities connected to two powerful real estate firms, one being Pennybacker Capital. Oh. Per the Austin Business Journal, other potential bidders complained they weren't allowed to bid on the world-class properties because trustees would only accept cashier's checks, which they said was atypical, doesn't usually happen at foreclosure hearings. This is a lot of connections there, and I don't know how this all gets investigated in Texas. Um, because. But, but it seems like there's enough, there are enough concerns that should be um, investigated. George P. Bush's involvement and Pennybacker, go ahead. Well, I think this case actually, it's time there was some actual real investigation because there hasn't been any real investigation on anything. And, and all of this needs to, needs to be followed up on because there are no accidents. There are, okay, two last things, three last things, we'll go to our audience. One is this attorney Busby, I'd never heard of him before. I mean. <laughs> But he, Busby, was the one who, yeah. <laughs> he just led, the, he just dominated that whole Senate trial in his capacity to cross-examine. And, and I mean, he was 
polite. I mean, he didn't, he just, but he was a bulldog and was not, they had a bunch of frivolous invest, frivolous um, um, objections from the other side. And he just kept after it and kept after it till he got uh, numerous things out. I, I mean, he's going to be lawyer of the year, at least for conservatives, <laughs> if you want to comment about him at all. But so Busby was great. Uh, another one was, and I want to get around to the 3.3 million the House could have agreed to pay. Do you have any idea how much this whole impeachment trial in the Senate and then, excuse me, in the House, the impeachment and then the House, uh, and, then, and then moving on the Senate trial, how much did it cost Texas voters? We, we don't know yet, but uh, uh, Dan Patrick has called for an audit. <laughs> I mean, <coughs> yeah. So no idea, no way to. No, but I, I think it's going to be a whole lot more than 3.3 million. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we, we, we put on a spectacle, um, and, and I think that uh, matters a lot. And then I want to turn to solutions, and I will actually have a really quick clip. Uh, hey, Amelia, I want, to, I want to do one with Dan Patrick, the third one. This is Dan Patrick. So they had the, finally got through the whole Senate trial, and, the, and then the senators voted, and then Dan Patrick made a closing statement. There's a little tiny segment from it. I feel it's important to set the full record straight on this trial because... I want people in the future to have a full picture of what happened and how did we get here. With all due respect to the House, we didn't need to be told in the final arguments how important this vote was. I believe the quote was, this will, if you are like me, be the hardest and most difficult and the heaviest vote that you will ever cast in your time in the legislature. This vote will be the vote you're remembered for most. Our members already knew that and have known that for the last three months. If only the House members who voted for impeachment would have followed that instruction in the House, we may not have been here. In the House, the vote to send the articles of impeachment against the Attorney General to the Senate happened in only a few days, with virtually no time for 150 members to even study the articles. The Speaker and his team rammed through the first impeachment of a statewide official in Texas in over 100 years while paying no attention to the precedent that the House set in every other impeachment before. In the past, the House had transparent and open investigations for all to see, including other House members. The target of the investigation was notified and invited to attend with counsel and given an opportunity to cross-examine witnesses that were placed under oath before testimony was taken. At the conclusion of past House investigations, the evidence was laid out for weeks for House members to evaluate, not ours, before they took their vote on articles of impeachment. Okay, he, he was, uh, his closing remarks were really profound. So we're gonna to turn to our audience to ask questions in just a moment, but I do wanna ask you, so now we've watched this whole process, we barely skimmed the surface, what we could have talked about, but this whole process, what has to happen so this kind of railroading won't happen again? Uh, what has to happen is like what I put in the statement that I entered into the journal, which we were, we were we could do. We were told we could put a statement in the journal, how it is. So I wrote a page and a half, put it in the journal, and it's out in the Capitol Hall report. We can't let this happen. We have to have legislation, change the laws. So we put some rail, some handrails around how this House goes about uh, doing their investigations and some some common sense due process that they have to follow. They have to have witnesses under oath. They have to have cross-examination. They have to have meaningful evidence for something in the future. And so we're gonna, we're gonna have to work on legislation to fix that. 
I love hearing that, and that is exactly right. I mean, this is, was an alarming thing for many Texans, whether you do or don't support Ken Paxton or whatever you thought about in the primary, the idea of the state coming after someone like that. Uh, and, and the public, as I said, to me, it was like sabotaging the public. They had no idea until it came about. And, and, and just ahead. one, I think I was like most of the senators in there, while I thought the due process was enough to squash it, once we got into it, I was there to listen to the evidence. I was going looking for the evidence because I, I was okay. I, I did not feel we had to come out of it one way or the other. I was willing to listen to the evidence and then make a decision on each one of them. I'm still waiting for the evidence. And I voted the way I voted because the House failed to produce any meaningful evidence particularly any man that rose to the level of beyond a reasonable doubt to, to be removed from office, didn't even come close on anything. That's what bothered me later. But I think most of the other senators di did not vote to dismiss because they wanted to hear the evidence. I was okay with dismissing it because it never should have been there. But I think we all were there. We heard the evidence, and I think you saw a vote that to acquit came from those who actually listened and made their decisions based on, on the evidence presented, which was non-existent. Absolutely, and thank yeah. you for doing that. Thank you for your bravery throughout it all and your, and your yeah. ethical yeah. approach, yeah. Thank you. Okay, we have time for questions. We have a microphone right there. We ask you to speak right into the microphone um, and try to keep your questions short so we have time for everybody. And, um, there you go. Hi, Senator Hall. Uh, question for me is, I, I know we refer to Ken Paxton as a Republican Attorney General, but I was wondering if you would make a case to all the Democrats and the Republicans out there of what we lost in those several weeks or months whenever Ken Paxton was not in office and what that job entails that's important to every single person regardless of what party they're in. No. Oh, it was it was a tremendous loss uh, because you, you outlined the things he's going after with the pharmaceutical companies, with election fraud. Those two alone are enough that uh, and are serious enough that that they need to have the attention that he was putting on it. And so we lost that uh, that time frame in there and we will it will take a, a while to spool back up with him coming back in, but I think it will happen. But it's, uh, that's the shameful part. It's not just the, the money we lost, but it was the, the time to straighten out those things we have in the medical field, particularly the big pharma and, and our elections fraud. Great question, thank you. Now, come on, don't be shy out there. I mean, I have more questions. I'd rather have you have, there we go, here's somebody, there we go. Um, you said a while ago when we were talking about all the related corruption, you said, well, those things are, need to be investigated. Do you really think they're going to be? It, related corruption. I'm sorry. Do you know the question? Oh, you, you're talking about of what's George behind, P. Bush behind it. All of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I, I don't hold out a whole lot of hope for that to happen because the investigation to do that could only come from one of two directions. It would be the Rangers or it'd be the Attorney General's office. And uh, I don't see the Attorney General's office actually pursuing that. 
unless they already know a whole lot more than what we do and have such a strong in airtight case in a particular area, I think we're just going to have to live with the fact that they, they attempted the coup and they missed. But you know what, what is that old saying? It, if you hit the king, you better kill the king. Well, they didn't kill the king. So who knows what he's going to do? Yeah. I would hope yeah. I, I would hope that he would. I would hope that they would pick it up and just accept the 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 flack they would get in doing it. But I think uh, I think there's enough out there that that we need to know the answer one way or the other. If there's another question, I, I'm very happy. Go ahead, please go ahead. So, what do you think the impact is going to be on all your fellow senators and uh, representatives in the House? after seeing this fiasco and you think it'll make it changes in the way they are managed by power in uh, both houses in the future? Right now, unless there's a significant personnel change turnover in the House, I see a very rough road ahead for getting anything done with the two bodies working together. I think it's, uh, it's driven a wedge between us. Um, I don't know how we overcome that. Uh, except that there's a significant number of new people that show up next session. A lot of the House members who voted for impeachment have strong primaries opposed opponents, and that may be helping. Yes, thank you for being here today. I heard you mention the name Louise in the email exchange with Governor Abbott. Can you expand on that, or what was her function? He was referenced in a text message that said we need to meet with Louise. And <laughs> And in, the, and in the testimony, it was confirmed that it was Louis Signs in the governor's office. I'm going to jump in and say one quick thing that, um, you know, people talk all the time about the Republican <coughs> Party is really divided, and you have the establishment wing, and you have the more uh, grassroots, whatever you want to call the, the division in the party. And, again, it was true to a certain level, but everyone should actually care about truth. They should care about our system is going to protect truth and allow the truth to emerge from the process that is fair. Because if you just begin to abandon the rules and decide, well, you know, we just kind of, you know, fling a bunch of stuff out there. If we can get rid of a political opponent, yay for us. You really lose the whole, uh, I mean, the Republican Party needs to stand strong because the left is so over the cliff into Marxism, socialism. They are, they're so far gone and they're failure to defend and love America anymore. Our party has to be the one to be fighting the left. And we, everyone in the country on the patriotic side should care that we, we had a process like this that went so far awry and, and really demand of our elected officials that they fix it so it never happens again. Yeah, that's, that is, well, I, if there's anything that good came out of that is to recognize that we do have this problem that needs to be fixed and that, um, and, it, and we have it recognized at a high enough level that I think we will have a reasonably good chance of doing it. But you're right. We are, we're in a society today that um, we have drifted so far from truth being at the center of what we do that it's like it's over here. And the left has moved way out here. But we on the right, we aren't where we ought to be either in there. It's, uh, we're not as far. We're, we... we Let's say that the bottom line is we have a nation that was founded by Christians as a godly nation and 
to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we were founded. And that's the way we lived for a long time. And today we have drifted too far away from that. We are no longer the Christian nation that those pilgrims intended for us to be when they came over here. They're our founding fathers when they crafted the Constitution around biblical principles and the best parts of republics from the previous 5,000 years. They're the ones who attended church in the capital for the first 100 years that it was there, including Thomas Jefferson, where... We worshiped God and we were a Christian nation. We are no longer, Obama was right. We are no longer a Christian nation. And until we get that changed and turn around and come back to being the nation our founding fathers meant for us to be, we are going to fa be faced with problems like this, where you have elected officials who truth is just a suggestion to them. Amen. Wow, that's a good line. Truth is just a suggestion to them. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know what, folks? Actually, we are out of time. I'm trying to be good. Emilio is not signaling me like he sometimes is, but we are at the end of our time today. First of all, Senator Hall, thank you for taking time today. I know you're in great demand these days, so thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for being here. And thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. This show is I do this show, as I say, every time we close out, to speak up for America, to speak up for America's unique and extraordinary greatness, to address issues of all kinds that, that challenge America, all from the premise that America's founding idea was a blessing. It was a blessing to the, everyone on earth, is a blessing to the people of America, and it's the, the responsibility of every generation of patriots to stand up and speak up for America, to call out lies, to call out things that are inconsistent with our found, the promise of our founder, founders made, that we all have the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and to live in a nation that, is, that follows the ideals and the, that were set forth in the Declaration and the Constitution. So thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. You can find this show online, no matter where you're listening, you can find the show at americacanwetalk.org. We can also find our blog posts and all sorts of other things that we're doing. You also, I must call attention before we close out, um, I mentioned on my show many times recently, I'm running for Republican National Committee woman. That's a different website please go to that website. Just check it out. Uh, if you're a Texan, love to have your, wherever you live, I'd love to have your support. But the website for the RNC race is Debbie G, the digit four, Debbie G for RNC.com. See, even rhymes, Debbie G for RNC.com. Please go there. I, this is another avenue or another vehicle that I have chosen to take that is my part of my mission to do my part to speak up and to save this precious country. This is America Can We Talk. Thank you for listening. I do this show every day to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you. Can we talk truth about America? Can you